Let me introduce myself. I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. What up, Mean Militia? This is Mean Joe Grizzly. When I'm not out helping the Lord of Dreams hunt down rogue nightmares and recovering his ancient artifacts, I'm over at the Grizzly Cave reading comics, watching movies, listening to heavy metal, and crushing beers. This is the Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast. And before we get started, I just want to come out and say that I am incredibly, incredibly sorry for the long period of time between episodes. That is something that is never intentional and it's never going to be intentional. Uh, my day job is very demanding, like I've said hundreds of times before, and I'm so thankful that y'all have stuck with me and haven't just gave up on my show, and you have no idea how much that means to me, and I really appreciate y'all for continuing to support the show and being patient with me as I get these episodes out. Sometimes this is gonna happen. It's something that is completely out of my control, and I don't want to rush through an episode and give y'all a bunch of crap. So I try to give y'all the best I can. And when I'm working 70 hours a week and taking call, there is no way that I can actually give y'all good content. So that's something that I've made a commitment to that I, I will never just give y'all. That's something that's not my best effort. And I plan to keep it that way. So... Once again, I apologize. It's going to happen. It's just something that's out of my control. Hopefully, it won't be happening too often. But once again, I really appreciate everybody being patient. But the wait is over. We're going to be talking about the Sandman. But before we get to the Sandman, I want to remind everyone to please like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you will never miss an episode. Also follow the show on all social media platforms so you can get updates on upcoming episodes, geek news, discussions, cool videos, and interact with yours truly. So follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Mean Joe Grizzly Podcast, at Mean Joe Grizz Pine on Twitter. Like the official Mean Joe Grizzly podcast Facebook page, and last but certainly not least, join the, my Mean Militia on the show's official Facebook group, the Mean Joe Grizzly Mean Militia. I look forward to interacting with you all and talking about all forms of badassery. But now it's time to crack open the Grizzly Guide and talk about one of the greatest comic book stories ever written. I am, of course, talking about Neil Gaiman's masterpiece, The Sandman. So after the success of his 1988 miniseries, Black Orchid, Neil Gaiman proposed the idea to revive the character of the Sandman. Now, the Sandman was created by Gardner Fox and Brent Christman back in 1939, and he was a founding member of the JSA, or the Justice Society of America. 
That character went through one revamp later in 1974 by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, and that version being a superhero-like defender of children from Dreams and Nightmares, who was assisted by Brute and Glob, two living nightmares he released from the dream world to aid him in his adventures. Now, that version will become part of this story later towards its conclusion. But, ultimately, DC would allow the revival to happen, and it would be released under their Vertigo line in November 29th of 1988, and Gaiman would deliver one of the greatest stories ever told in comics. Now, I want to make it clear that this can get very confusing. So, the two characters that I just spoke to you about, those characters, they still exist in the same universe as the Sandman. And the Sandman itself does take place in the DC universe at the time. And it still does today. But what I'm trying to get at is, is that there's not three characters running around called the Sandman. That's something that, that's not happening. Uh, Wesley Dodd, the original Sandman, is, to my knowledge, not around in the comics anymore. He's dead. I mean, he was a, he was a character that was... He was, a, he was a superhero during the World War II era. That's what the JSA essentially is, is a war, World War II era superhero team. And they predate the Justice League. As far as the, the version that Kirby and Simon brought us, that character was really only in a six-issue miniseries and had a small role in Neil Gaiman's Sandman story. So... I won't be I won't be really referring to the main character of this story as the Sandman because he's not really referred to as a Sandman. He's known as Dream or Morpheus most of the time. So I just want to clear that up. You're not going to hear me say the Sandman goes here. If I'm talking about the Sandman, I'm talking about the character that Jack Kirby and Joe Simon created, and I'll specify that when the time comes. So. We got a lot to cover, and I'm going to try to do this fast and loose as best as I can so that everyone can understand it properly because, like I said, this stuff can get confusing, and we're not just dealing with normal characters here. We're dealing with cosmic abstracts, and it can all kind of be very out there. So I'm going to do my best to convey all that stuff to y'all as best as I can. And hopefully by the end of this episode, you guys will have a better understanding of the Sandman. So, let's get started. So, our story begins in 1916 in Witchcross, England, where we are introduced to John Hathaway, a historian that works at a museum. He is delivering an artifact called the Magdalene Grimoire to a man known as Roderick Burgess, a practitioner in the dark arts and a leader of the Order of Ancient Mysteries. Their goal tonight is to perform a ritual to ensnare and capture the entity death so that they can achieve immortality and bring back lost loved ones. But they screwed up. They ensnared the wrong entity. Instead of death, they trapped Morpheus, aka Dream of the Endless. Burgess seized control of Morpheus' sigils, his helm carved out of the bone of a dead god, his sand, and his ruby made of dreamstone all large portions of his power. 
He would then imprison Morpheus in a glass prison for 70 years. Meanwhile, Burgess's second-in-command, Ruth Van Sykes, disappears with his mistress, Ethel Cripps, and all three of Morpheus's sigils. Sykes would trade the helm to a demon known as Karanzan in exchange for her amulet protection against the many spells and curses sent against him from Burgess. But Burgess's mistress, Ethel Cripps, would steal the amulet, the sand, and the ruby and abandon Sykes. Sykes would meet his end at the hands of one of Burgess's curses in 1936. Meanwhile, with Morpheus in prison, people around the world were succumbing to sleep sickness, a particular ailment that was befalling people, whether they would sleep for years at a time or wouldn't sleep at all for years. And one in particular that is relevant to the story is Unity Kincaid, who fell asleep when Morpheus was captured and didn't awake but a few times a year. And she would eventually be raped in her sleep. But Unity Kincaid never knew, even after she delivered the baby, she slept right through it. Years would pass and Roger Burgess would die and Alex, his son, would take his place and continue to keep Morpheus in prison. He, like his father, would consistently ask Morpheus for immortality and power in exchange for freedom, but Morpheus would continuously say no. So more years would pass until 1988. Alex, now an old man and wheelchair bound, would ask Morpheus one more time to talk to him and give him power, and he is once again rejected. Alex and his caretaker slash lover would leave the room, but his wheelchair wheel would smear the seal holding Morpheus, giving him just enough opportunity to invade the dream of a guard nearby. The guard was dreaming of being on the beach. Morpheus would grab some sand and leave the dream. He would then collapse and lay still playing dead in his glass prison. The guards would open it and he would strike using the sand, putting them all to sleep before escaping into the dreamy, AKA the dream dimension. But before he was gone, he would confront Alex and confine him to an endless nightmare for the rest of his life. Morpheus would end up collapsing at a location outside of the dreaming known as the House of Mystery, the home of the first murderer, Cain. There, we are introduced to Cain, Abel, and Gregory the Gargoyle. Now, before we move any further, I just want to make a a little detour here and give a little bit of explanation on what Neil Gaiman did here. So back in the day in DC, there were two different comics that came out that were kind of like their horror and fantasy comics, kind of like how Marvel had journey into mystery and stuff like that. And the book was the house of mystery and the house of secrets. And the host of those comics were kind of like their crypt keeper type host was Cain and Abel. So it was really cool how Neil Gaiman reworked those characters into the actual DC mythos instead of them being just confined to those books and being like the storyteller of those books. I thought that was really cool how he did that. And honestly, after reading this years later, because I've read it before, but it was a very long time ago. It's been almost 10 years since I've read this. So going back and rereading it, and seeing those two characters being utilized like that was, it had to be groundbreaking at the time. I thought that was very interesting. But 
I digress. So we're introduced to Cain, Abel, and Gregory the Gargoyle, and they're all aspects of the dreaming that Morpheus created. So him being weakened from his imprisonment, Morpheus would ask Cain and Abel for something that he gave them so that he can draw power out of what of something that he created. So they gave him their letters of commission and he would absorb them and gain enough strength to travel to his palace. But when he arrived, it was all in ruins. With his most loyal servant, Lucian, the only remaining member of his subjects left. Lucian explained that since he has been gone, that the dreaming has decayed and most of his servants have left. So in order to restore his kingdom, he must recover his tools. So he's got to get the helm, the sand, and the ruby back. So after he consults with, with these three witches known as the Hecate, they give him clues to where his tools may be or where they may have been, but they don't give him exact answers. And he's only allowed three questions. So, he asked the first witch, where is his pouch of sand? The witch told him that John Constantine had purchased it some time ago. He asked the second witch, where was my helm? She said that it was traded to a demon in hell many years ago. And then he asked the last witch, where is my ruby? And she said to ask the Justice League its whereabouts. So, Morpheus was set out to reclaim his tools. First, he would team up with Constantine and recover the sand after an old lover of Constantine had been unknowingly trapped by the sand's effect, essentially draining her life force. When Morpheus reclaimed the sand, she was dying an agonizing death, so as a favor to Constantine, he placed her into a dream loop where she and, she and Constantine were together forever until she died minutes later. He would then move on to Hell where he would confront Lucifer Morningstar, one of Hell's lords. He would ask for his help in finding the demon in possession of his helm. Lucifer would summon all the demons in hell, and after locating the demon Karanzai, Morpheus would battle the demon in a clash of minds in order to reclaim his helm. Morpheus would ultimately win and move on to his final item, the ruby. The ruby at one point was given to a man known as John Dee, also known as Dr. Destiny, and the son of Ethel Cripps, the former mistress of Roderick Burgess. You see, a lot of stuff is like starting to like tie together in this really strange coincidences on everything. And that comes into effect later on in the conclusion of this episode. So I'll get to that later. So John D was a former supervillain known as Dr. Destiny, where he had modified the Ruby and used it to bring people's dreams and nightmares to life. After he was defeated in by the Justice League and confined to Arkham Asylum, that coincidentally, he escaped the same day that Morpheus escaped, and he sets out to reclaim his ruby. So after consulting with Scott Free, aka Mr. Miracle, and John Johns, aka the Martian Manhunter of the JLA, Morpheus too set out to reclaim his ruby. So both begin to converge on the same location. Morpheus arrives first and tries to obtain it, but due to the modification that was done by Dr. Destiny, it drained him of almost all of the rest of his power. So with Morpheus now lying on the ground unconscious, this gives Dr. Destiny the opportunity to seize the ruby for himself. And what does he do? He decides that he's going to test it out. So he goes to this diner and he starts messing with people's dreams, making their dreams and nightmares come to life. And 
manipulating him into doing anything that he wants to with this with this massive amount of power that he truly doesn't understand and meanwhile while he is doing this he is seemingly unknowingly warping the world around him like the the world's in total chaos with this guy using this ruby and ultimately it ends to the gruesome death of all the people in the diner and Morpheus would eventually regain consciousness and catch up with Dr. Destiny and engage him in a battle and the two would end up fighting across the dreaming with Dr. Destiny using the totality of the ruby against Morpheus now he seemingly thinks that he kills Morpheus and it also results in destruction of the ruby itself Dr. Destiny thinks that he has won but in all reality Morpheus had absorbed the ruby and regained all of his power he would then return Dr. Destiny to his cell in Arkham Asylum and instead of physically punishing him he would place him into a deep sleep without dreams giving him some peace finally and then he would return to the dreaming to begin to rebuild his palace with the world and everything being set in order now that the ruby had been destroyed and all of his power had returned to him now with all of his tools back in his possession morpheus now begins to rebuild his realm but he's in a funk so he is approached by his sister death and fellow member of the endless and Death, despite being Death incarnate, is surprisingly this very upbeat and charismatic being. And she invites Morpheus along for a day in her duties. So after seeing her job and what she has to do and how she handles things in her position as being the entity of Death, it kind of like gives him the motivation to get back to work and restoring his kingdom. So upon returning to the Dreaming, Lucian informs Morpheus that there are still four servants that are left unaccounted for. The Corinthian, the embodiment of mankind's most brutal and depraved compulsions, who has been walking the earth as a serial killer for decades. Brute and Glob, two nightmares that were the palace staff and are currently teamed up with Hector Hall, aka the Sandman, and Fiddler's Green, the embodiment of the part of the Dreaming that travelers dream of finding one day and this is where like stuff kind of gets more confusing if you don't like really pay attention so the concept that i was talking about at the beginning with the different versions of sandman that do show up in the story but aren't exactly relevant to the story this is the one that is relevant to the story so like i told you before there was one that was established back in 1939 by gardner fox and then there was one that was kind of a revamped version by jack kirby and joel simon and that was hector hall and hector hall was to my knowledge i think hector hall was the son of carter hall and Hawkwoman and he I think he was called the Silver Scarab I'm not quite sure but that seems to be the way that I remember it but he's dead he died a long time ago but somehow he's here and he is this version of the Sandman and this is where it kind of gets a little weird and confusing is they the Sandman aka Hector Hall, I'm just going to call him Hector Hall. Hector Hall 
and Brute and Glob are hiding within the consciousness of this boy named Jed. And Jed is going to become very relevant very, very soon. But the whole concept is, is that Brute and Glob have essentially hijacked Hector Hall's consciousness. And again, Hector Hall's dead. And also hijacked Jed's consciousness. They are all residing inside of Jed's consciousness. Also, Hector Hall's wife is also in that group as well who is not dead so technically his essence is in there with them but Hector Hall is definitely dead and it's one of those things where he may have somehow become a dream embodied because of whatever reason but we're not exactly sure how it happened so long story short they're all reciting inside the consciousness of this kid named Jed. And Jed's life is horrible. He is tied up in a basement. Uh, he's barely fed. He's beat all the time. And he's supposedly was adopted by his father's relatives after his father passed away. And they're really abusive. And they're only keeping him around so that they can get $800 a month in like social services money or whatnot. And Jed's going to become very relevant very soon. So Morpheus would set out to find Brute and Glob and that would lead him into direct contact with the Sandman and the consciousness of Jed. And it was one of those things where he didn't, he didn't, he couldn't find them in the dreaming and everything this dreams he has access to. So it was very strange that he could not find them and he was pissed that he couldn't find them. So he ends up confronting Hector Hall and they get in this goofy ass battle to the point where Mor Morpheus is very, very unamused, but he's not, he's not angry at Hector Hall, but he recognizes that Hector Hall is dead and he's not supposed to be there. So long story short, he confronts Brute and Glob and they start groveling and sniveling at his feet saying please master don't punish us blah 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 and he ends up banishing hector hall hector hall's wife and brute and glob from jed's consciousness and jed escapes from the house and then there's this very interesting dialogue between hector hall hector hall's wife and Morpheus and the whole time that they have been within Jed's consciousness Hector Hall's wife has been pregnant and they've been in there for a very long time and she hasn't had that baby yet so the f weird thing is is that after Morpheus tells Hector Hall it's time for him to go back and you know move on and his spirit kind of disperses and he moves on Hector Hall's wife's pissed. She's like, you killed him, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, he's been dead for years. You just don't understand. And then he tells her something very strange. He says, that child within you, that's my child, and I'll be coming for it one day. And Hector Hall's like, no, you want you bastard. So that was kind of, that's kind of like something that happens later on down the line. But that's for a different time. 
And then he takes Brute and Glob and he banishes them for a couple hundred years to pretty much make them do like the most excruciating work they could possibly do. So that part of the story is tied up. Meanwhile, Jed is pretty much walking down the hallway, uh, down the highway in the rain, and he's picked up by a mysterious man in glasses, sunglasses to be exact. And this man is the Corinthian. So the Corinthian has Jed. And the Corinthian is very creepy. He is, he is like the, he kind of seems like the, not, he, he's not this, but it kind of seems like he's the, the father of all serial killers. Like he's the, he's the first serial killer. It just seems that way when you read his dialogue and stuff like that. And Corinthian's very creepy because he wears those sunglasses at all times because his eyes he doesn't have eyes. He has teeth and a mouth and mouths for both of his eyes. And when he kills his victims, he eats their eyeballs. So he is extremely creepy and he's very he's a very creepy character. So what ends up happening is is then we're introduced to this girl named Rose Walker and Rose Walker and her mother Miranda get an invite from a, from Unity Kincaid the girl that was one of the victims of sleep sickness while Dream was imprisoned by Roderick Burgess and they're invited to this place in England where it's this really nice like mansion type place and it's unity kincaid's mansion and she unity kincaid brings miranda and rose in and drops the biggest bombshell ever that miranda is unity's daughter the baby that unity had while she was asleep the you know she was like i stated before she was raped in her sleep and the baby was taken she had the baby and the baby was given up for adoption she never knew where the baby went and she found her and miranda is that baby so that making rose the granddaughter of unity kincaid now again you see how everything is just this big coincidental thing that just keeps happening it's like like someone's pulling the strings behind everything and again we'll get to that later so it turns out that also Rose had a brother and she hasn't seen her brother in years so she's trying to seek out her brother because she found out that her her dad died and she goes on this journey where she leaves England and she goes to Florida and she shacks up in this room with all these weird roommates and stuff and she she's introduced to a roommate known as Gilbert and Gilbert is this big huge gentleman type guy that walks with a cane and has like a suit and stuff and Gilbert is essentially the embodiment of Fiddler's Green the other servant that Morpheus is looking for so Rose and Gilbert set out on a road trip to find her brother and they find out that her brother is in Georgia at a relative's house where he was adopted after their father passed away. Is everything starting to click together here? So eventually they are on their way and their car starts breaking down and stuff and they end up having to stay at this shady hotel. 
and this shady hotel is having a convention, a serial convention, and turns out that that's all a facade and it's really a serial killer convention and it's just nuts like all of these big-time killers are in one area and they're all like it's kind of like comic-con for for serial killers it's insane and the guest of honor is the corinthian and one thing leads to another and fiddler's green aka gilbert realizes that the corinthian is there and he gives Rose a paper with Morpheus's name on it and said, Rose, if anything happens, just say this word out loud and everything will be okay. And Rose's like, oh, oh okay, well, that's cool or whatnot. And just sh shrugs it off and Gilbert disappears. And Rose is eventually in a situation to where she gets cornered and beaten and almost raped by a serial killer, this big man baby guy who he's just disgusting. But this killer is about to essentially kill and rape Rose and Rose says Morpheus and Morpheus shows up immediately and puts this guy in a perpetual dreamscape to where he is completely unconscious and constantly dreaming about the things that he wants. And this is where Morpheus realizes that the Corinthian is there. So he ends up going after the Corinthian. Him and the Corinthian have words. And the Corinthian's like, I'll just fight you for it. And he's like, you're not going to fight me at all. I'm just going to take you back. So he he explains to the Corinthian that he created him so that humanity can see what their darkest desires and, and their most heinous capabilities are, not to be a walking embodiment of them. And that he had failed his his role that he had created him for. So he, he's not meant to actually walk the earth and be a serial killer. He is just there to be the id in humanity's dreams so that in their nightmares essentially so that humanity can kind of see the, the writing on the wall in case they're heading in that direction. That was what his purpose was supposed to be. And instead he became a living nightmare in the in the moments that Morpheus or the years that Morpheus was imprisoned. So he ends up just reabsorbing the Corinthian and the Corinthian's gone. So it turns out that earlier when uh, the Corinthian picked up Jed, he didn't kill Jed. Uh, Fiddler's Green, AKA Gilbert found Jed in the Corinthian's trunk, the trunk of his car. And this is when it's revealed that Jed is Rose's brother that she's been looking for, which we already knew that. I just wanted to kind of keep y'all on the keep y'all on the cliffhanging. So, yes, Jed is Rose's brother, and they take him to the hospital and they start getting him 
you know, nursing him back to health. And Morpheus comes in and kind of repairs his his consciousness to an extent. And then we're revealed that Rose is what you call a dream vortex. And she can take, when she dreams, anybody that's around her and essentially anybody in the world that she lives on, she could converge all their dreams together and just create absolute chaos. And so much chaos to the point that the world could be destroyed. And Morpheus actually makes the comment that he didn't stop a dream vortex on one world so many eons ago, and it completely destroyed that world and billions of people died or billions of life forms died because of it. So he wasn't going to make the mistake again that all dream vortexes have to die. So it comes down to a point where she is, everybody's safe and sound and Rose is back at the apartment that she rents in Florida and all of her roommates are dreaming and all their dream, they start invading each other's dreams and all the dreams start spilling into each other. So they're all seeing each other's dreams and it's like wrecking them it's either bringing them closer together or it's pushing them far away like it's it's just about like one guy dreams about being with other women constantly and his wife is right beside him and she's dreaming about being in a fantasy realm uh one sister's dreaming about just wanting to be loved and the other one's dreaming about just wanting to be left alone uh just certain things like all these dreams are spilling into each other and they're all recognizing each other. It's kind of like the same concept like in, um, I don't know if any of y'all have ever watched, and if you hadn't, you should, uh, Nightmare on M Street 3, Dream Warriors, where there's this one girl that can pull people into her dreams. It's the same concept, only this girl is, Rose is pulling everybody around her involuntarily into each other's dreams and they're all mixing together in this big melting pot and it's just causing pure chaos. So, Dream takes this opportunity to stop that event from happening. So, he stops the Dream Vortex event from happening and takes Rose off into the Dreaming and he's taking her off to kill her. And it comes to a point where Fiddler's Green approaches Morpheus and says, please don't kill her, you know, take me or whatever. And... He's like, it doesn't work like that way. She cannot exist. She's too dangerous. And right when you think that he's going to kill Rose, Unity Kincaid in England falls into a deep sleep, probably the last sleep that she's ever going to have. And she enters the dreaming and she offers up herself as like the sacrifice. And she exclaims to Morpheus that Technically, she was supposed to be the dream vortex that she passed it on to Rose. So she somehow got Rose to pass it back to her. And then Unity Kincaid, within the dreaming, she her physical body dies. So Unity Kincaid fades away. And with that, takes the danger of Rose being killed by Morpheus because she's a dream vortex takes that whole situation away so now Rose gets to live and the dream vortex is taken care of and everything's all good 
coming into the end of this run, Morpheus is in his palace and he's thinking about all the events that have taken place. And he comes to the conclusion that all the events that happened seemed a little bit too coincidental and that he thinks that one of his siblings had something to do with it. And the one sibling that he thinks it is, is Desire. So he ends up confronting Desire. And it's here between their little banter that you figure out what the purpose of the Endless are. And the purpose of the Endless are not to manipulate. The purpose of the Endless are to maintain the order in their respective positions. And Desire stepped outside of that that position and that and caused chaos so morpheus confronts desire tells desire when everything is everything on this planet and this universe is dead and there's nothing left then you can do what you want but we do not manipulate them and threatens to destroy desire if desire ever interferes again and that brings this this run to an end this is the first 16 issues of the sandman and i hope all y'all were able to follow me because it's it could be very confusing the concept of the endless is is really interesting because they are not gods in dc they're not they are not gods but they are just living embodiments of all of these different concepts despair delirium desire dream death like destruction there's they're they're just the embodiments of those concepts they are extremely powerful but they can obviously be killed and they can obviously be captured so it's it's very interesting how how neil gaiman just opened the door for to expand the the dc cosmology and I recommend that y'all read it for yourselves. There's still a lot more to this. I just did the first 16 issues because it seems like that that is the storyline that they're taking in the Netflix show. So the Netflix show continues and gets a second season. I will more than likely just continue to give y'all the, the, the comics side by side to the show. If that's something that y'all are interested in, um, but yeah, I I recommend reading the Sandman. It's one of the best comic stories ever written. And with that, we're going to bring this episode to an end. Thank you all so much for y'all's continued support and patience. Without y'all, the show is not possible. Especially, thank you all for being so patient with these this two-week un, unannounced hiatus. I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to try to avoid that. But ultimately, sometimes that's just unavoidable. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. His music is amazing and is what I use as my background music throughout each episode, as well as the music I use for my intro and outro tracks. So check out White Bat Audio on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and also follow the show on all social media platforms. 
And most importantly, join the Mean Militia by joining the official Facebook group, the Mean Joe Grizzly Mean Militia. Next episode, it could be a number of things. So just stay tuned and it should be coming out pretty soon. Hopefully there's gonna, there's not going to be any more delays. Um, and once again, I still, I appreciate it so much for y'all's, y'all's patience on that, but stay tuned. And until next time, remember I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. <laughs>